Section 18 of the History of Lady Julia Mandeville. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The History of Lady Julia Mandeville by Francis Brooke. Section 18. Epistle the Earl. To the Earl of Belmont. How happy would it be for mankind if every person of your lordship's rank and fortune governed themselves by the same generous maxims? It is with infinite pain I see Lord T. pursuing a plan which has drawn on him the curse of thousands, and made his estate a scene of desolation. His farms are in the hands of a few men, to whom the sons of the old tenants are either forced to be servants, or to leave the country to get their bread elsewhere. The village, large and once populous, is reduced to about eight families. A dreary silence reigns over their deserted fields. The farmhouses, once the seats of cheerful, smiling industry, now useless, are falling in ruins around him. His tenants are merchants and ingrossers, proud, lazy, luxurious, insolent, and spurning the hand which feeds them. Yesterday one of them went off largely in his debt. I took that occasion of pressing him on his most vulnerable side, and remonstrating the danger of trusting so much of his property in one hand. But I am afraid all I can say will have no effect, as he has, by this narrow selfish plan, a little increased his rents at present, which is all he has in view, without extending his thoughts to that future time, when this wretched policy, by depopulating the country, will lower the price of all the fruits of the earth, and lessen, in consequence, the value of his estate. With all my friendship for Lord T., I cannot help observing in him another fault greatly below his rank and understanding— I mean a despicable kind of pride, which measures worth by the gifts of fortune, of which the largest portion is too often in the hands of the least deserving. His treatment of some gentlemen whose fortunes were unequal to their birth and merit yesterday at his table, almost determined me to leave his house. I expostulated warmly, though not impolitely, with him on the subject, and almost got him to confess his error. My friendship for him makes me feel sensibly what must lessen his character in the eyes of all whose esteem is desirable. I wish him to pass a month at Belmont, that he may see dignity without pride, and condescension without meanness, that he may see virtue in her loveliest form, and acknowledge her genuine beauty. I am, my lord, etc., H. Mandeville. Epistle George. To George Mordaunt, Esquire. Friday. I have passed a tedious fortnight at Lord T.'s, without tasting any pleasure but that of talking of Lady Julia with some ladies in the neighbourhood who know her. I estimate the merit of those I converse with by the distinction of being known to her. Those who are so happy as to be of her acquaintance have in my eye every charm that polished wit or elegant knowledge can give. Those who want that advantage scarce deserve the name of human beings. All conversation of which he is not the subject is lifeless and insipid, all of which he is brilliant and divine. My lord rallies me on my frequent visits to these ladies, and, as one of them is extremely handsome, supposes it a beginning passion. The lady herself, I am afraid, is deceived, for as she is particularly warm in her praises of Lady Julia, my eyes sparkle with pleasure at her approach. I single her out in every company, and dance with her at all our little parties. I have even an attention to her superior to that of common lovers, and feel for her a tenderness for which I want a name. Lady Anne has had the goodness to write twice to me from Lord Rochdale's, whither my lord went with his amiable family two days after I left Belmont. Lady Julia is well, she loves me, she hears of me with pleasure. Ought I at present to wish more? 
I have hinted to Lord T. my purpose, though not the dear motive which inspired it. He is warmly my friend, if there is truth in man. I will be more explicit the first time I see him alone. Shall I own to you one weakness of my heart? I would be served by any interest but Lord Belmont's. How can I pretend to his daughter, if all I have is, in a manner, his gift? I would be rich independently of his friendship. Lord T. is walking in the garden alone. I will go to him and explain all my designs. His knowledge of mankind will guide me to the best road to wealth and honour. His friendship will assist me to the ample extent of his power. Adieu. Epistle Henry To Henry Mandeville, Esquire "'Oh, do you know I have a little request to make you? "'But first, by way of preface, I must inform you "'Lady Belmont has been reading me a serious lecture "'about the Caro Belleville, "'who has wrote to her to beg her intercession in his favour. "'I find fools have been impertinent in regard to our friendship. "'There are so few pleasures in this world, "'I think it extremely hard to give up one so lively yet innocent "'as that of indulging a tender esteem for an amiable man.' but to our conversation. "'My dear Lady Anne, I'm convinced you love Colonel Belleville.' "'Love him, madam? No, I rather think not. I am not sure. The man is not shocking, and dies for me. I pity him, poor creature, and pity your ladyship knows is akin to love. Will you be grave one moment? A thousand, if your ladyship desires it. Nothing is so easy to me.' "'the gravest creature in the world, naturally.' "'You allow Colonel Belleville merit?' "'Certainement.' "'That he loves you?' "'To distraction.' "'And you return it?' "'Why, as to that, he flatters agreeably, "'and I am fond of his conversation on that account. "'And let me tell you, my dear Lady Belmont, "'it is not every man that can flatter. "'It requires more genius than one would suppose.' "'You intend some time or other to marry him?' "'Marry? Oh, heavens! How did such a thought enter your ladyship's imagination? Have not I been married already? And is not once enough in conscience for any reasonable woman? Will you pardon me if I then ask with what view you allow his address?' "'I allow? Heavens, Lady Belmont! I allow the addresses of an odious male animal? If fellows will follow one, how is it to be avoided?' It is one's misfortune to be handsome, and one must bear the consequences. But, my dear Lady Anne, an unconnected life is the pleasantest life in the world. Have I not three thousand pounds a year? Am I not a widow, mistress of my own actions, with youth, health, a tolerable understanding, an air of the world, and a person not very disagreeable? All this I own. All this? Yes, and twenty times more— or you do nothing. Have not these unhappy eyes carried destruction from one climate to another? Have not the sprightly French, the haughty Romans, confessed themselves my slaves? Have not—but it would take up a life to tell you all my conquests. But what is all this to the purpose, my dear? Now, I protest, I think it is vastly to the purpose. And all this you advise me to give up, to become a tame, domestic, inanimate— "'Really, my dear madam, I did not think it was in your nature to be so unreasonable. "'It is with infinite pain, my dearest Lady Anne, "'I bring myself to say anything which can give you a moment's uneasiness, "'but it is the task of true friendship. 
"'To tell disagreeable truths, I know that is what your ladyship would say, "'and to spare you what your delicacy starts at mentioning, "'you have heard aspersions on my character, "'which are the consequences of my friendship for Colonel Belville. "'I know and admire the innocent cheerfulness of your heart, "'but I grieve to say the opinion of the world.' "'As to the opinion of the world, by which is meant the malice of a few spiteful old cats, "'I am perfectly unconcerned about it. "'But your ladyship's esteem is necessary to my happiness. "'I will therefore to you vindicate my conduct, which, though indiscreet, has been really irreproachable. "'Though a widow and accountable to nobody, "'I have ever lived with Colonel Belville with the reserve of blushing apprehensive fifteen whilst the warmth of my friendship for him, and the pleasure I found in his conversation, have let loose the baleful tongue of envy, and subjected my resolution to the malice of an ill-judging world, a world I despise for his sake, a world whose applause is too often bestowed on the cold, the selfish, and the artful, and denied to that generous, unsuspected openness and warmth of heart which are the strongest characteristics of true virtue.' "'My friendship, or, if you please, my love, for Colonel Belville, is the first pleasure of my life, the happiest hours of which have been passed in his conversation. Nor is there anything I would not sacrifice to my passion for him but his happiness, which, for reasons unknown to your ladyship, is incompatible with his marrying me. But is it not possible to remove these reasons?' "'I am afraid not.' "'Would it not, then, my dear madam, be most prudent to break off a connection which can answer no purpose but making both unhappy?' "'I own it would. But prudence was never a part of my character. Will you forgive and pity me, Lady Belmont, when I say that though I see in the strongest light my own indiscretion, I am not enough mistress of my heart to break with the man to whom I have only a very precarious and distant hope of being united?' "'There is an enchantment in his friendship which I have not force of mind enough to break. "'He is my guide, my guardian, protector, friend, the only man I ever loved, "'the man to whom the last recesses of my heart are open. "'Must I give up the tender, exquisite, refined delight of his conversation "'to the false opinion of a world governed by prejudice, judging by the exterior, "'which is generally fallacious and condemning without distinction "'those soft affections without which life is scarcely above vegetation? "'Do not imagine, my dear Lady Belmont, I have really the levity I affect, "'or had my prejudices against marriage been ever so strong, "'the time I have passed here would have removed them.' I see my lord and you, after a union of thirty years, with as keen a relish for each other's conversation as you could have felt at the moment which first joined you. I see in you all the attention, the tender solicitude of beginning love, with the calm delight and perfect confidence of habitual friendship. I am therefore convinced marriage is capable of happiness, to which an unconnected state is lifeless and insipid, and from observing the lovely delicacy of your ladyship's conduct, I am instructed how that happiness is to be secured. I am instructed how to avoid that tasteless, languid, unimpassioned hour, so fatal to love and friendship. With the man to whom I was a victim, my life was one continued scene of misery. To a sensible mind there is no cold medium in marriage. Its sorrows, like its pleasures, are exquisite. Relieved from those galling chains, I have met with a heart suitable to my own, born with the same sensibility, the same peculiar turn of thinking, pleased with the same pleasures, and exactly formed to make me happy. 
I will believe this similarity was not given to condemn us both to wretchedness. It is impossible either of us can be happy but with the other. I will hope the bar, which at present seems invincible, may be removed. Till then indulge me, my dear Lady Belmont, in the innocent pleasure of loving him, and trust to his honour for the safety of mine. The most candid and amiable of women, after a gentle remonstrance on the importance of reputation to happiness, left me, so perfectly satisfied that she intends to invite Belleville down. I send you this conversation as an introduction to a request I have to make you, which I must postpone to my next. Heavens, how perverse! Interrupted by one of the veriest cats in nature, who will not leave us until ages after the post is gone. Adieu for the present. It is prettily enough contrived, and one of the great advantages of society, that one's time, the most precious of all possessions, is to be sacrificed from a false politeness to every idle creature who knows not what else to do. Everybody complains of this, but nobody attempts to remedy it. Am I not the most inhuman of women to write two sheets without naming Lady Julia? She is well and beautiful as an angel. We have a ball to-night on Lord Melvin's return, against which she is putting on all her charms. We shall be at Belmont to-morrow, which is two or three days sooner than my lord intended. Lady Julia dances with Lord Melvin, who is, except two, the most amiable man I know. She came up, just as I sat down to write, and looked as if she had something to say. She's gone, however, without a word. Her childish bashfulness about you is intolerable.' The ball waits for us. I am interrupted by an extreme pretty fellow, Sir Charles Mellifont, who has to-night the honour of my hand. A. Wilmot. Epistle Lady. To Lady Anne Wilmot. We have a ball to-night on Lord Melvin's return, against which she is putting on all her charms. Oh, Lady Anne, can you indeed know what it is to love, yet play with the anxiety of a tender heart? I can scarce bear the thoughts of her looking lovely in my absence, or in any eyes but mine. How then can I support the idea of her endeavouring to please another, of her putting on all her charms to grace the return of a man, young, amiable, rich, noble, and the son of her father's friend? A thousand fears, a thousand conjectures torment me. Should she love another? The possibility distracts me. Go to her, and ask her if the tenderest, most exalted passion of the man who adores her—oh, I know not what I would say. You have set me on the rack. If you have pity, my dearest Lady Anne, lose not a moment to make me easy. Yours, etc., H. Mandeville. End of section 18